Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, so we're jumping right into part two. In this episode, you're going to hear some personal stories. You're going to hear some personal reflection. There's a lot of times that we hear things from other people and we kind of put ourselves into their shoes. We kind of start to see ourselves in their life, in their stories. And I know somewhere along the way, some of you have been in my shoes. You've been that dad on the bucket. You've been able to catch. You've been able to throw soft toss. You've been able to do something with your child and just the communication is not there. She's not seeing it your way. He's not seeing it your way. There's some disconnect there. So we get into that and we try to figure out how we can do it better, what we could have done differently and what we can do differently as we move forward. I hope you enjoy. You had to go through that in order to get where you are. And I think that there are going to be people who listen to this and hear your story and like, oh my gosh, like all of a sudden there's this new self-awareness. Like, All right, so we're jumping into part two here with Jen. She's back. We're doing another segment on the mental health, how to communicate with our kids, how to communicate with our players. We're going to go a little bit deeper into this and kind of get to some of the root causes of our communication conflicts, how we can tackle that, and give you some of our personal scenarios so you can kind of understand where we're coming from on the topic. So, Jen, welcome back. Thank you for joining me again. I want to kind of get into your story and get your perspective on where you're speaking from and why you're so passionate about this and how you can help and you've, how you continue to help and what it means to you to be able to get this message out. Okay. Thank you. Um, I'm really excited about this segment in particular because I think it's going to really give people some tools. So I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to share kind of where this all started for me and how it developed. Um, I'm not going to go into like the whole growing up and travel ball and stuff like that, because I want to get to the end of like where most people think they're striving to get to and what is at stake. Like, I want to talk about what's really, it's like why this is so important all of the time. Um, so for me, um, I had the dream, like most young athletes do to go play division one college softball and worked my butt off to get there. Um, and I, you know, I planned the unofficial visits. I went there, like I wasn't the star studded athlete. I was good, good enough to, to go play, but, um, that wasn't because I was naturally gifted. It was because my dad invested in camps and clinics and, you know, drove me across the country. We didn't have the access to information like we do now. Um, this is like, you know, 2000 to 2007 was when I was growing up playing ball. Um, so I got the college scholarship. I got a, I got a, uh, partially academic, partially athletic, Uh, to my dream school in New York City, where I wanted to learn how to make movies and make films and play ball and have an opportunity to go into the the top 64 at the end of the season, right? And and when I got there, I thought that, okay, I finally made it. All those people who told me I couldn't, all that extra time, all the sacrifice will finally be worth it. And um, when I got there, I started looking and comparing myself to my teammates who were all from California and faster, stronger than I am, you know, had 
greater experience traveling with these big name brands, teams, like these big organizations where I grew up on like a, you know, the dad coached the little team and we, you know, like the single team. And uh, as I'm looking left and right, I'm like, man, like, um, I don't know if I'm ever going to get playing time. The catcher that was a year older than me, she ended up going on to play in the pro league. Like she was really good. I'm like, I'm never going to get an opportunity. I was busting my butt. And, uh, you know, in that environment, uh, going into college, like, it's not just about going to play ball. It's like, you're, you're becoming an adult. You're, you have all this new freedom. Um, you're trying to figure out who you are as a human, as a person, you know, you talked about, um, right now in the news, the girl from Stanford, right. And, and that there's a lot of pressure to be able to say like, Hey, I finally made it. I'm, I'm, I'm earning my spot. I'm, I'm worthy. I'm worthy of this opportunity. And for me, I looked around and I'm like, look, anything I'm doing isn't really making a difference. Um, everybody else is going out and partying. They're going out and drinking. I might as well do that too, because you get to the place where you just want to fit in, right? Where you just want to feel like you belong. Um, one night, all my teammates go out and drink. I stay in the dorms. I have some drinks. I'm raped in the dorms by three guys on the track team. My life today is good and awesome. Like I'm not like giving this whole like victimy story. This is a very common story that happens to many, many athletes. But what happened after that drastically impacted my level of understanding of how I work with teams and individual athletes and parents and coaches now. Because after that, I remember um, there was a time I went to my coach. I actually went, we went down for a tournament and he made a comment. He's like, you have to be able to compartmentalize this, right? And like, I love this man. I love this coach. Like he is the most incredible coach, incredible leader. Like, and I understand where he was coming from now. Like he was saying like, Hey, I understand this is going on, but ultimately like you still have to show up and you have to play here and you have to be able to like, not let this like completely crumble your whole life. Right. But at the time I was like, how, <laughs> you know, like I couldn't do setups on the floor without breaking down, you know, like it was, it was, it was like, I had all this shame and all this stuff going on. And so, you know, fast forward to today, like I have done so many different programs for kids that are 10 years old who will tell me like, yeah, my stepdad is doing this in my, in my situation. Or I've had a girl that, you know, was in a pitching program with me. And like, while she's recording and sending me a question about her thing, I can hear. And she's like, what's going on in the other room? And she's like, yeah, I had to call the police. And I'm like, do I climb in my car and drive to her state right now to like, you know, like, and, and it gets to this point where like, you build these very real relationships with people that are going through real, real stuff at a young age. And you find out they're not telling their parents, they're not telling their coaches, they're not telling anybody because I have the tools, which I'm about to share of like, how do you create a space where they can actually share this without shame or guilt or all this stuff. I've had girls that are messaging me through like an app that I had where they're saying like, I'm at home, I'm in my closet right now. I didn't go to school today and here's how I'm feeling. And, and they won't get on the phone because they're so scared to talk. The only like lifeline they have right now is the fact that I'm texting them and I'm at the gym on a, you know, on a, on a bicycle, <laughs> you know, texting this girl, like, and that's the avenue I have. And, um, and there's just all these situations that come into play when you're working with young people. So when I, when I share like the perspective that I have and I share like the tools that I've developed, it comes from here's a real person in a real situation where they're dealing with overwhelm, they're dealing with grief, they're dealing with intense levels of stress or fear or something going on in their life. And then at the same time, I'm having conversations with kids at the same time about like, hey, I'm nervous to step in the box or I'm nervous to let down my team. And actually like the emotions they go through are not actually that different. Like they're very, very similar. Um, so if you can, if you can teach a kid 
how to handle failure, disappointment, rejection, pain, hurt, all these things in a space that's as safe as, oh my gosh, I've just walked five batters in a row, right? Now you have a language. So when they go through something that's really hard and really tough, that that they have a new perspective of how can I, how can I approach a situation? And I think that ultimately that's the responsibility of coaches is, is they say that the game will teach you life lessons. I don't think that the game inherently alone does that. I think you have to have a, a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like somebody who can translate somebody who can say like, here's how this applies here. So that way they can create the identity of somebody who never gives up, somebody who bounces back, somebody who isn't a victim and takes their life experience into their own hands. I think we hear a lot, um, you know, leave it at home, leave it in the car, don't take it to the ball field. But man, you're telling an 11, 12 year old that just saw mom and daddy's argument or mom and daddy's divorce or, you know, a family member has just passed away. You're telling that kid who has mm -hmm. no idea how to compartmentalize that for that short time to leave that and go perform on the ball field. And if you don't perform on the ball field, like I want you to, uh, you throw strikes, get in yeah. the batter's box, you, yeah. uh, get in front of the ball. Yeah. Uh, you're, so she's got all this going on, which we don't know about because we, we can't have, we can't have like a five, 10, 20 minute conversation with them before they get the book. Okay. So what happened today at school? What you know what I mean? So it, it, it rests on her to and and her inner circle um, to be able to kind of communicate, talk through it, understand it before she gets to the ball field or for a tournament, for a practice. But it's so tough and we have to recognize it. Real life happens before we get on that ball field that where they go. That's the escape, but they can't escape their mind. They it's in there. It's in there. And, it, and on a, on a physiological level, right. If a kid isn't sleeping well, or like there's actually chemicals going through their body that are stress chemicals, like they're not going to be in the zone as much. So that's why one of the major topics I teach, like the number one thing I introduce athletes to is how do you get in zone? And what I'm actually teaching them is how do you change stress hormone? Or how do you get it out of your body? How do you flush it out of your body? How do you get to back to a state of, of peace and relaxation? I'm teaching in a way how to compartmentalize. I'm not calling it that because it's not like, it's not just like putting it in a box and shoving it in the closet and not right. dealing with it. It's actually like unpacking it and letting it go, which is, which is my definition of toughness. My definition of, of mental toughness is just probably the number one thing I'm known for teaching when I go out and do clinics and stuff. People say like, how do I make my, my team more tough? Like the thing is, is like, how do you like put down the heavy load, the backpack that you're carrying? Not how do you hold on to it and climb up the mountain? How do you actually make it lighter? Right. <laughs> And there's a process and there's a teaching to that, which we'll go to in here in a minute, but just, and I know like one of the reasons why you're so passionate about this is because you have your own story and how, and I'd love to hear too, and for you to be able to share that, because when you shared with me the story of you and your daughter, I was like, most parents want and crave what you've developed, but they don't know how. So like, can you share too, a little bit from your perspective? Yeah. I, like I said, I, I have a, um, a now a 14 year old, a soon to be 12 and not too far off from uh, um, one turning nine. So, I mean, I've got a full spectrum of uh, hormones. All right. <laughs> so, um, which, you know, I'm blessed because I have three daughters. I don't know if I would be who I am today as a man if I had three sons. Um, mm, so uh, my oldest daughter, I was hard on her 
because I wanted her to be the best. I, I didn't want anybody to be better than her. I didn't want her to, to, to cheat and steal to get to where it was. I wanted her to put the hard work in. I was an mm-hmm. athlete too. wasn't the greatest. Um, I, I didn't have any aspirations to go play college. I, I was a wrestler. Um, I made my mind up to go to, to the Marine Corps for, for different, for different reasons. But um, so I, we got into ball. My wife signed up uh, my oldest one to, to, to for T-ball rec league, uh, big rec league that we were close to. It was a lot of fun. I got involved with that and I got into coaching because I wanted to have my thumb on it. I wanted to make sure that whatever we were practicing, she was practicing the right way. And then of course they always need help kind of wrangling cats is what it's, you know, <laughs> six year olds are. So um, I, I was hard on her. Um, me coming from the Marine Corps, it was boom, boom, boom. We got to go max out everything we're doing. If we're not working, we're sleeping, we're lazy. We're not doing what we should be doing. So I was really hard on her. Um, she didn't, she responded well, which I thought at the time she responded well um, to that. She was getting better. She was getting stronger. She was getting faster. Um, now here comes my middle daughter uh, who just kind of starts picking up the ball and throwing it and, and playing. And I'm not as hard on her because she's the smallest one. But I notice it, she's picking up the game a lot, and I wasn't doing a whole lot to that. She was kind of growing herself watching her older sister. And now my youngest daughter, Ruby, is probably the best athlete, and I am have the least amount of impact on her physically because it's my, my older two daughters that have take her out in the yard, take her to the ball field. They do different things with her, and she kind of watches it. So getting back to Kate and my oldest, um, we got it to the point where um, she hated for me to sit on the bucket and catch her during pitching lessons, even if it's just in the yard or setting up the bow net on the tee because I was so hard on, she'd make one bad swing. And the words that I would say to her weren't, there weren't derogatory or anything wrong with those words. It was my tone. It was how I was saying it to her to where no matter what she did, she felt like she couldn't do right. Right. On the pitch swinging a bat, missing a ground ball, doing whatever. She felt like no matter how good she did, she couldn't please me. And I didn't see that. Mm -hmm. I saw I was doing what was right because I was hard on her. Well, then I had a conversation with my wife Um, over a month or so. I guess the conversation was just kind of broken up into segments, but um, she could tell. And I know my oldest daughter had was coming to her that um, it had got to the point where she said, look, um, your relationship with Caden is, is nothing but softball. She thinks she can't talk to you unless it's softball related. I was that guy. Mm-hmm. I was that dad. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wait a minute. I love my kids more than, more than anything. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's no, there's no father out there that loves their kids more than, than I love mine. Um, so that hit me. I said, man, what are we doing here, man? We, we are failing. And um, I, uh, Excuse me. Um, I took a step back and I said, you know what? If I don't have her, I don't have anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just told her, excuse me. I had to tell her that she, no matter if she, if she succeeded or failed by her own definition, um, she was a success no matter what in my mind. So um, from that day forward, we just, we started, 
we backtracked. We had a conversation and um, it just, we started talking about school again. We started talking about um, boys. We started talking about everything other than softball. And then she started to bring softball back up to it. Hey, dad, do you want to go catch? Hey, dad, I saw this drill. Um, you know, can you sit on the bucket? And so now um, she, it's, we, our, our relationship is, is great. Um, you know, I, she wouldn't say that we're best friends, but um, I lean on her more than she knows. Um, we have, we have softball in common. We, and it's not just softball that, that we have. It, it's, it's a lot of different things. And we find joy in softball. And before, I don't think she was finding joy because it, it became hard on her to, to do what she liked to do because I was so hard on her. And through that, I have gotten a better relationship with my wife. I've gotten a better relationship with my middle daughter, um, who is the most competitive kid I have ever been around. Um, and so I'm being able to talk to her to, to let her know softball isn't everything. Mm -hmm. um, and that's actually made her a better ball player. She doesn't care so much about winning and losing anymore. She just cares about the life lessons around the game, the friends that she meets, the, the other coaches listening to their message, uh, trying to get better, trying to develop. Um, and Ruby, my youngest one, she just plays to play. And, it, and to me, it's the most beautiful thing you can see is having, being able to be that parent because I wasn't that parent being able to be that parent that watches your kid play a game because it's fun to them and you you apply no extra pressure and at the end of the day does it truly matter that you can say that your kid is the the best 12u 14u 16u ball player because by what metric are you measuring this 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 like intangible goal that's out there that you set for yourself and no matter what you're going to set it too far you're never you're never going to reach it so as as i as i continue to do this i don't know where this is going to lead me to but after talking to you and letting you kind of in on on my story and my why as to doing things i know that there are guys out there that are the same way that, that I, that I was there right now, there is a guy yet last night sitting on a bucket, catching his daughter and she was miserable mm -hmm. and he thought he was doing right by sitting on that bucket, telling her how bad she was doing, but man, all that girl wanted to hear was how good she was doing. It didn't matter if she threw one, six miles above your head, man. She's doing good because she's out there working. She's not doing bad because she missed a spot. And, and if I could, if I could just look every guy in the face and tell him that, man, go back to when you were that young to have somebody sitting on a bucket or throwing you soft toss and to hear how bad they're doing while they're trying to do something that they enjoy. I mean, what if we stood out there and told you how bad you were turning a wrench because you're out there working on something that you enjoy doing? You're turning the wrench wrong. Why don't you use the other wrench? Why are you doing that? it just if more guys would take that instead of trying to compete with their buddies who's got the better daughter 
Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's what it comes down to. But um, yeah, I want to ask. I wanna ask. <laughs> no, it's powerful. It's so it's it's like and I, when, it, when we talked before this interview, I was like, you have to tell your story because it's going to touch so many people. And I'm so proud of you for doing that. A couple of thoughts or a couple of things that came up for me. One is when you got emotional, like what was it that was what was the thought that was? Um, pause. I don't. I don't think Caden has heard the whole, the whole story, the whole package and has, I don't think she's been able to hear how wrong I feel I was. Mm -hmm. So it, it gets to me that way because I, I mean, she knows now that, that I know how, how wrong I was, you know, and how I could, how I could have changed. And, but we had to get to that point to, get to whatever point we're going to. So I, I think that's why I'm so emotional about it because I, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it because I've, I've grown from it, but I, I do feel that um, I wish I would have I've done things differently. But, but I, you, just said the, you just said the most important thing. You said the most important thing, like you had to go through that in order to get where you are. And I think that there are gonna be people who listen to this and hear your story and like, oh my gosh, like the, all of a sudden there's this new self-awareness. Like, yeah, like my kid is pulling away from me. They're not talking to me about school. They're not open, they're, they're not excited to go. They're not performing the level they're capable of. And there's gonna be someone who's listening that gets that punch in the gut that's like, oh my gosh. And for that person, like, there's no shame in that. Like there, there, there isn't, it's because now you have the opportunity to actually build a relationship because what is going to bring your relationship better? Like you said, with your, your children, to be able to say like, Hey, I've done some reflection, like, and I realize like, this is where you're at. And I realize how I've contributed to that. And I want to do better. And like, this is how I want you to feel like the conversation, especially if you're willing to be patient through and allow them to express whatever's been going on for them and how it's been impacting them. That is going to be the foundation in which you can build that rock solid relationship. Because I'll tell you, one of the metrics that I have for success, right? One of the, one of them is on a kid's difficult day. I want them to have a relationship with their parent where they can call their parent. Because for me on that difficult day for me, when I was in college, like ultimately I got to a place where I could make that call. Right. And in the beginning I was so scared and I was so nervous to make that call. I actually, I remember being in the hospital and lying to my mom and she was like, how's your day going? I'm like, I'm good. I'm just tired while I'm on the hospital bed in New York city in the middle of the night. Like, like, you know, and it took me a little while. Like, so my hope is that when something happens that you've had all of this time of difficult stuff you've gone through of tough conversations where you, your kids know that you're the safe place because as a parent, you want to be the one that gets that call on that day right? Not that you want those things to happen. You'd rather them not. Maybe you can even have conversations leading up to something that could be a decision they make that that hurts them, right? So like, that's one of my definitions is how can we create the type of relationship where that becomes safe to say, hey, I made a mistake. And I think that for those parents who are in that place, like realizing they made a mistake, this is the best opportunity you have to teach a young person. How do they respond when they make a mistake, especially with a relationship that's as important as yours is. So. Yeah, I I think with it being, you can't change it overnight. Um, and that it's that process of opening up that communication to where they're gonna take their steps, their leaps when they're ready, when they feel comfortable. You can't say, hey, you can come to me with anything. 
Right. If they don't feel it, they ain't coming to you. They ain't talking right. about nothing. You, you know? can't say it. You have to show it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and there's there's times that you know we're we're going to be able to see things or or notice things as parents that um, we just got to stand by and wait because we know at some point that the kid's going to come to us and we can kind of lead in certain ways, but we don't want to jump out and go, Hey, I, I know uh, your boyfriend broke up with you. You don't need him anyway. Just forget him. Well, if we do that, then what that does is that just belittles that emotion that that, that child has had and that effect on them. And then we can right. kind of break it down and, and, and kind of, you know, understand it or a pet or a family member, something like that, that's happened we can't just push it off because it doesn't affect us. We don't have that, that, that feeling that whatever they have in the, in their mind, we can't feel that we can feel it to a certain extent because there are our children and we see the emotion, but it, unless it directly impacts us, we're not going to feel the same thing. We can kind of so, empathize with them. So here's a, here's a couple of tools that, that I'd like to give, because I know we we're probably going to go to section three here mm -hmm. shortly that I think will help. And I'm going to give a couple of stories. So I'm going to give you the, the simple basic version. So I was doing a coaching with a 10 year old girl and maybe nine, nine, 10, she's getting in fights at school. Um, I find out from her mom that her mom had recently left a relationship that was not good for her. She had moved in, I think with her grandparents. So she's living in this very small new space. Every time I'm doing my coaching calls with this girl, she like literally is in the closet with her computer so she can have a little quiet space, right? Um, and I asked her to do a project where I have, or a little a process I have. It's my, the process is called, build your GPS. Well, what's a GPS? A GPS tells you here's where you are and here's where you want to go, right? And so if you want to have uh, a path to be able to say like, okay, I'm, I'm striking out. I want to be more consistent. I'm slow. I want to go fast. I'm not confident. I want to be confident. First, we have to say, where do you want to be and where are you? And one of the first things I do is I use the analogy of the GPS to be able to empower them to share truth, right? And the way that I do that is I say, okay, so let's pretend that you are wanting to go to Disney World, right? And I say, well, do you know where Disney World is? They're like, yeah, it's in Florida. I'm like, cool. And I was like, okay. And you want to go to Disney World, but you are in Texas, right? Which direction do you need to drive? They were like, they're usually like, to the right, <laughs> east, right? <laughs> so, um, okay, so you need to drive from Texas to Florida. But what happens if you told the GPS that you're in Texas, but you're really not? What if you're really not in Texas? What if you're in New York City and you tell the GPS that you're in Texas and so it tells you to drive east, but you're in New York City and you start following the GPS, which way do you go? Where do you end up? Like we end up in the ocean. Yeah, like you end up sunk. That's not where I want you to be. So one of the things when we build our GPS is we have to be honest about what's the true thing we're feeling right now. Like, where are we really? And know that where you are today, just like if you start driving is not where you're gonna be tomorrow. So wherever you are is okay. Like, let's just get real with it. So that way we can create a roadmap and a system for you to go to where you want to be. And the cool thing is, is once you build your GPS, if you go off track and you check back in, you do a GPS ping, it's not like, oh my gosh, I made the wrong decision. No, it's just like, make a U-turn. Right. It reroutes. And so once you have confidence that you know how to build a GPS from where you are to where you want to be, it relieves some of the anxiety that it's okay to take a left turn and be like, oh, this doesn't feel right. And it's about that constant, like, adjustment process. It's the constant tweaking that gets you back on the right path. So back to this 10 year old girl. So she, I get the buy-in and the first thing that we do is we talk about 
her relation, her, her emotions in each year of your life. Earlier, you were sharing your story about how as a dad, your athlete wasn't talking to, your oldest daughter wasn't coming to talk to you about school and all these other things. Most parents, when their athlete isn't performing, they come to me, they watch a video online, like, Coach Jen, help me. My daughter's going to showcases. They'll say she's, she's blowing it. She's throwing the, the ball in the dirt. Like, it's such a big deal. Like, please fix her because we've got this whole summer long schedule and I don't want her to ruin her chances and her opportunity, right? They're saying, come, Jen, fix her, <laughs> right? And the first thing I do is a GPS call. And the way I describe it to a parent is, look, if you're going to go on a road trip, if you're going to go on a journey, you want all four of your tires with good traction and full of air. Because if one of them is low, it's going to cause some problems with the alignment. Like you're not going to go on a long journey. And the analogy is a parent will come and say, pump up the softball tire. <laughs> Let's get it really, really full. But they don't want me to check or they're uncomfortable with me checking the other four tires, which is their relationships, right. their energy, like how are they sleeping? How are they fueling, right? Their school, their vision for their future, what things are important to them. So there's four tires. We can't just pump up the softball tire and ignore the relationship tire. Right. And I will tell you that I would say probably nine out of 10 of the kids that I've worked with, and I've worked with thousands of them, like everywhere I go across the country, I, I like, I mean, audiences of 250 kids, like, you know, I get feedback from all of them and I work with them online and I work with them in person. And 90% of them, when you go around and I check the pressure, if you will, on each one of those areas, it all comes back to, if they're not performing in softball, there's a relationship that's experiencing more stress mm -hmm. um, than they want. It's not the right, the right like emotion that they want to feel. Every single time it comes back to that. And that, and it impacts their school, it impacts their sleep, it impacts their energy, all of this stuff. However, coming back to giving kids tools, is this good? Is this interesting so far? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, cause I'm gonna give another layer to it. When you work with young kids and you ask them, how are they feeling? they may not have the language yet to be able to fully express it. I know even as an adult, there's times whenever I'm frustrated or I'm in a bad mood and I'm like, I can't quite, I don't even really know why. I'm just not in the mood that I want to be. And I have to stop and be like, okay, like you blame it on this thing over here, but really it has nothing to do with that. It might be like you haven't ate the right food in the last 24 hours and your chemistry is off, but you're like, I'm angry and you find something to blame it on. So first we have to get like, what's the real truth? So I had this girl I was working with a 10 year old and I'm like, okay, give me, um, what are the top five emotions you feel on any given week? And she's like, happy, angry, sad, mad, hungry, right? Okay. And I'm like, okay. And then we start going into like her different parts of her tires, right? Okay. How talking about relationships, talking about school. And these are the same words that came up all the time. Well, if that's the limit of your language, that's the limit of your, the emotions you can feel right? That you can express. So she has to have a broader vocabulary. So I did a test with her. I said, okay, here's what we're going to do for the next two minutes. I want you to write down every single emotion you can think of. She only came up with six in two minutes, happy, angry, sad, mad, hungry. And then like, you know, one other version of angry, <laughs> right? Frustrated. I said, okay, now for the next two minutes, I want you to come up with every single color of like a crayon in a box that you can come up with. She came up with a page full. She knew more colors than she knew emotions. So then I gave her the assignment. I said, okay, so now what I want you to do is over the next week, I want you to start recognizing, like I want you to give a different word, a different emotion to each one of these colors. So she now she had, a, she had to start thinking about what are different emotions I can feel, silly, happy, like curious. Like, so she had to come up with these different words. So now when she came back to the next call, she had all these other ways to communicate language 
right? That she didn't have before. So now if instead of just talking about anger or happiness, I can start talking about like, how do we make an adjustment in emotional? Like, how do you turn a dial? Because you can't just go from angry to happy. It doesn't work. Like emotionally, it doesn't work. You have to go from angry to a little frustrated to like, you know, okay, at peace, observing, like grateful, you know, and then we can get to happy. It's like a dial. You can't just like turn the weather like that. So if you can understand that gradient to be able to help an athlete walk through that storm, now you can start to get somewhere, but it came back from giving her a tool for language. And I think what that does is that gives it what gave her confidence in feeling the way she felt like if you're angry is it's not always just necessarily a bad thing to feel angry like it's okay to get angry at things but it gave her that confidence that like i can understand this emotion because she was able to to write those out i think that's very powerful i think more i think more kids need to do that well, and you get it too, because like I, and the, the extension of that is, is it fun to look at a picture that's only three colors or is it fun to look at a picture that has 24 colors, right? right? And you can appreciate, Hey, that emotion is sending me a signal. It's giving me information. And so now they turn the relationship to the emotion as it's not something bad to avoid, or I shouldn't be angry. I shouldn't be sad. It's like, Oh, I'm angry. Well, when did I start noticing? I felt that way. What's that signal sending me? Like it's telling me that I don't have an expectation that's met. What can I do about that? So like you can start to have very adult conversations that quite frankly, most adults haven't been trained or had the experience of having those conversations. It hasn't been a part of the way that we were raised as a society to be able to talk about emotions. And we talk about mental health in this way where it's, it's not a bad thing to be angry or to be sad or to be depressed. Like the reason why when I go talk with college athletes and, and I draw this on the whiteboard for them, I'm like, they express me like, look, I'm in, I'm in a slump. And I'm like, and how do you feel about the fact that they're in a slump? Like, I feel bad. What comes back to frustration plus frustration equals more frustration. So what happens is they just, they momentum cycle down because they don't, they're not allowed to like, you know what, look, I'm in a slump right now. Cool. Like, what are the steps to get out of it? They're just so feeling so crappy that they're in a bad space that they feel shame that they feel shame or they feel, you know, anger that they feel anger. And so there's no way out. And it comes back to like... Where did you go? I'm still here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Okay. That's good. Yeah. So (laughs) do we have time to do one more uh, introduction to an analogy? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So coming back to the GPS model and like, how do you, you you talked about in the first, in the first segment of this, we talked about the difference of talking to a kid in the ocean Mm -hmm. versus a kid on the mountain. One of the big questions parents come to me is like, I don't know how hard to push my kid, right? Like they're like, I want to push, but I don't want to push too hard. I don't want to push them away. Right. And this this is a very common question. And think about it like this. If your kid is drowning in the water, are you going to push them? What do you you think? How would you like, like put yourself in that situation? You're in, you have a boat, your kids in the water, they're drowning. What do you do? You're going to try to pick them up, pull them out. You're going to pick them up. You're going to pull them out. Now, what if your kid and you are climbing a mountain together and they need to boost up the next rock, right? And they're trying to get up to this next part. Then how do you approach it? You would, you would be pushing. Right. So there's a different like understanding. Like if you try to push a kid when they're in the water, like that's not going to help. And if you jump in the water with them, right, unless you're trained, <laughs> like what happens is people end up drowning, trying to save people out of the water. 
Like you have to be able to give them a rope, give them something to hold on to, give them a flotation device, right? Like you have to know somebody who's trained how to get somebody out of the water so you're not being pulled down with them, right? right? Whereas when a kid's on the mountain, like you could push them up, you could hold their rope. Like you think about like rock climbers, you put them in the big harness, you hold the rope that even if they slip and fall, they're not falling, right? They might lose their grip for a second, but you're holding the rope. And there's a different mentality between like helping give a boost and pushing and pushing somebody under the water. And so when you understand like, okay, there's this range of where our athletes are, then you can like, how emotionally are they feeling right now? Are they confident? Are they feeling strong? Are they climbing towards something? Do they want the boost or are they just trying to breathe? And then you can start to decide, okay, how am I going to approach this particular situation? That's, that's deep. That's, that is coaches hear that. Listen to that. Put yourself in that situation. You've got the girl on the team that's excelling. We need to continue to push her to that next level that she's getting to. She might be advanced. There might be a couple that are advanced on the team. Then you have the ones that just maybe started out. You could have a, a half a team that's excelling that you need to continue to push. You could have half the team that is not quite on that level. So if you continue to, if you push them, you're going to be pushing them down in a way. We need to be pulling them up, pulling them up to, so we can eventually start pushing them ahead. I think that that's deep. And I think coaches need to understand that and, and take that from, from part two, take that, that right there, that, that it just, I mean, that, that was sums up the episode sums up the, the the part of this speech or this this episode with there's different people needing different things at different times that it's okay for us to be that one that can do both for them we don't have to be a one-size-fits-all and i can only help elite athletes or i can't pull these other athletes up we can do both at the same time for different people you can and uh and it goes deeper so we can do that <laughs> We'll continue that in the next episode. I think you're really, if you like that, then you're really going to like what comes next. All right. So that's going to be it for this, this part two. We're going to be jumping into part three. Make sure you watch that one as well. Thanks, Jen. All right. That's part two. There's a lot to unpack, a lot to get into. We did some sharing. We shared some personal stories, some personal reflection. We also learned some tools and some tricks that we can use, some different things that we can kind of you know, approach in our own way that we know works, you know, kind of help our students, kind of help our, our, our players out, you know, really work through that emotion, different ways to kind of express themselves so we can better understand them. So there's more to come, part three and part four on the way. Thank you guys for watching. If you like this type of stuff, make sure you're sharing it. And when you share it with a friend, make sure you tell them you love them. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.